Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This is the Frey podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Welcome to today's podcast episode. It is a conversation with Monique Harding on the very difficult at times topic of when, where, why, and how to tell your children that their parents are separating. Now, for those of you who cannot relate to this topic um, at first glance, I really do encourage you to stick with it and have a listen to this episode because I think it will prove to be a very insightful conversation. And whilst it might not be something that's happening for you right now in your life, the, the stats tell us that this is something that will happen to someone in your life. And I think it's a really rich conversation. Monique and I talk about the logistics of when it's appropriate to share this news with your children, how to share it to them in a way that makes it, I guess, as digestible as possible, depending on their age, how to do it. We talk about the things to look for in terms of Uh, to give you insight as to know whether or not your children are acting in an appropriate way or whether they might need some more support. We talk about the adversity that often comes along with parents separating and the impact that it does have on children. I, of course, know firsthand how difficult and how sensitive and how all-consuming this can be when you are going through this as a family. And I think this conversation will actually be incredibly helpful for so many listeners. I hope that you enjoy, enjoy this episode. Now, of course, Monique has also contributed towards our surviving separation guide, and that is available for you right now. Uh, All of the details for that are in our show notes. But for those who don't know Monique... Monique is a couple and family therapist and accredited clinical mental health social worker with a modern approach to mental health counseling that draws on a range of evidence-based therapies, including solution-focused narrative approaches and acceptance and commitment therapy. Her advice on supporting children through a separation or through a divorce may help to make this process significantly less stressful and less overwhelming on the whole family. So as I said, I think this is a really rich and important conversation and it's going to be a really great resource for anyone who is going through a separation at all. If you happen to know someone who is going through a breakup and they have children involved, please do take the time to either screenshot this episode and send it to them or copy and paste the link because it's one of those episodes that I wish I had heard several years ago. There are things in this conversation that I think would have made it much easier, not just on me, but most importantly, 
on the kids. So share this episode around for sure. All right, let's get into my conversation with Monique Harding on when and how to tell your kids. Monique, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's so lovely to be here with you again. Always love our chats. I took so much away from our past chats. They really, really impacted me. So I'm excited to hear more of your wisdom, particularly on this really difficult and sometimes sensitive topic of just how to support your kids through a family breakdown, a family breakup, um, because it's certainly a challenging time for all involved. It is absolutely really difficult time. I think as well, you've got your the, the parents and the people navigating the breakup that are, are grieving and dealing with some big emotions. And then our little people who can sometimes feel like a, an extension of ourselves, of our hearts that are also going through their own process. So very natural to be worried about the kids as, as well as worried about yourself. There are just so many layers like it's one thing to separate when you don't have kids, but as you said, when you do, you're so inherently aware that you're entangled with your kids and that mm. you are changing their reality. And I guess like my first question, and it's one that I get asked often, would be when is it appropriate to tell children that their parents are separating? Yeah, and it's a really good starting question, I think, right? Because it, Often, you know, the boundary between ourselves and our children emotionally is probably one of the closest, well, closest kind of boundaries that we have, right? Like, as I said before, our kids kind of feel like a bit of an extension of our, ourselves at times. We feel their emotions almost for them. And so, what I see is that sometimes parents will go in a little bit too early with that information. And ideally, we're not sitting down speaking with any children, regardless of age, until we have a bit of a plan as to what next steps are going to look like. You know, some people listening might be thinking, but what about teenagers? You know, they're nearly adults. Well, they are and they aren't. Like the teenage brain is actually going through a very similar process to the toddler brain. And I think we forget that because physically we're kind of looking at nearly adults. Emotionally, we're often looking at toddlers that need a lot of scaffolding, a lot of predictability and a lot of emotional support. So until you have that plan as to where's mum going, where's dad going, what's this going to look like moving forward, doesn't need to be all figured out, but you know, a basic structure, then don't involve the kids. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I guess that impulse to want to tell your children quickly because of that enmeshment, it's like, oh, I need to tell them I need to get this over with. Um, but it makes sense to wait until you have a plan. And just recently, one of my boys said to me, oh, one of my friends at school said his parents might be separating. Mm. And I thought, what a hard place for a kid to be in, you know, to know, you know, maybe mum and dad are separating, maybe they're not. So that makes perfect sense to wait until you've actually fully made the decision mm -hmm. and then you have a plan. And I imagine that plan includes knowing which parent's going to move out, when they're going to move out, what sort of changes are going to happen for your kids. Are there other things that you should know before you tell your kids? 
I mean, I think it's really just about having that basic structure, right? Like in terms, let's just keep it really simple because the main couple of things that kids really need during that time is to feel seen. So to feel like their emotions matter, that they're being uh, taken into consideration throughout of all of this and to also have that you know, decent amount of structure, of support, of, of containment, which is ideally provided to them by their parents. So by, by no means do you need to have, you know, the next year, six months even, you know, figured out, but it might be that mum's going to um, go and live at X place for a little while, or mum's even going to, to start to look for a new place to live. And that will likely happen in X amount of time. I think sometimes it's really helpful to ask yourself as well um, around, you know, why are you feeling the need to tell your kids early if you haven't got those things figured out? Like, what's the drive behind that? Is it because of that emotional enmeshment? Um, or is it the case that perhaps, you know, your kids are actually starting to ask questions? Um, I think that's more the more common situation, right, is that perhaps there's been like a bit of conflict within the house. Kids are like little barometers. They pick up on everything. They know. Also, oh, of course. They, it's also very common that children will kind of present to therapy and then it becomes like a family therapy type situation because, you know, when you're – child-centered and you're working with the child, you very quickly pick up on if, you know, perhaps some of these symptoms that the child is displaying are functional because they're bringing the parents together and that perhaps there's been a disconnect there. Yes. And that is something that I certainly experienced in my own family separation. One of my boys, and we can get into, of course, what to expect and what acting out looks like. But one of my boys was acting out in such a dramatic, I don't know if dramatic is the right term, but such a dark way, like sharing really dark thoughts. And I mean, he was saying things like, I would rather kill myself than go to dad's. Like he was, and it wasn't about at that point at all. Like it wasn't at all to do with him not wanting to spend time with his dad because they were great. But it was more I could see that he realized if he was saying those things, that meant mum and dad would come together and we would all Mm. be spending time. Mm. You know, if he could control us being together for longer by acting in this way before the handover, then he would. And so very quickly I realized, huh, I hear what he's saying and it's dark and it's scary, but I think he's trying to meet the need of having mum and dad in the same room more. So it was like, how how can we give him that without the darkness, you Mm -hmm. know? And that was kind of the way that we navigated it and it made a big difference. But it makes sense that kids just, they're very clever at meeting their needs. So clever. Like it's it's amazing the presentations that I've seen, like a little bit more historic now. I haven't worked in the, the child and youth mental health space for ooh, probably oh, I mean, close to seven years, but um, still within the family therapy space, you know, you see a lot of ch- children coming into that context, of course. And the presentations that you get within children are just remarkable, like eating disorders, depression, suicidal thoughts, acting out behaviors. Like, And I think to use your example there, the most important thing is just being really tuned into your kids and knowing that you're, because of that close connection, 
your intuition is likely right. You know, regardless of what behaviors you're seeing, some of those behaviors might be quite normal um, <laughs> to, <clears throat> to your particular child. Whereas you knew with your little guy that this was like quite outside of his typical behavior that he would exhibit. And teachers are normally the same too. Like typically they'll kind of raise an alarm if there's something there that is not quite right within a child. And it, you know, particularly just given like how cued in that they are to mm -hmm. two kids having seen them, you know, Monday to Friday or however often that they're going to school. Yeah. And that's, it's so true because if you weren't connected to your kid and then they're saying, you know, having that strong connection with your child and then they're saying to you, I would rather kill myself than go to my dad's, your brain automatically and understandably might go to why, what's happening at dad's and did, 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 and then it spirals. Whereas if you mm -hmm. are very aware of their normal base level, you yes. can go, hang on, hang on, what's happening here? Yeah. He obviously didn't have the words to say, or know how to say, mum and dad, I'm scared and I need you both in the same room more. So Absolutely. he said, so he did it in the way that he knew how. Um, but just to backtrack a little, when we do have that plan mm -hmm. and we're feeling ready to tell our kids, how do you suggest people do it? Is it, you know, best to do it at home? Is it best to do it together? Like how, how should we deliver that news to our children? Hmm. Well, there's no like specific right or wrong way, right? Which I think um, for some people will be quite relieving, for others will create a lot of anxiety. Yes, I like, like step by step. <laughs> yeah. <Give laughs> so <me> just script. <laughs> yes. So just normalizing that. But we do know from lots of research in this area now that there are a few things that tend to support kids really well through this process in terms of delivering that message. Um, and that is that you tell them together. You know, this isn't one conversation happens with mum, one conversation happens with dad, which can sometimes be tempting, particularly if there is, you know, animosity, conflict, resentment between the couple. So, so important to be able to put that aside and go, okay, this is actually almost our, our first step in our co-parenting relationship. So we tell them together. The other important thing is to keep it really short. This shouldn't be a two-hour conversation. Like this should literally be covering off a few of those main points. Some big feelings are going to come up for you. These are our next steps forward. I'm here for you if you have any questions. And almost I would recommend kind of putting off those questions to a certain degree. It can be very tempting to create a bit of urgency around it and almost um, be putting your kids to a certain degree on the spot in that moment and asking them to, you know, any questions you have, like just let us know, we're happy to answer them now. And sometimes then what you find is that almost that opportunity for your kids to ask questions again is never provided. Um, and then I'll see them in therapy, like, I don't know, six months later, and they're like, oh, well, I that was all really confusing and I'm not quite sure how I feel about that and this wasn't communicated to me and I'm just feeling like you can see the anxiety is increasing within the child. So I think that's the really important piece too is to almost contain that conversation um, and have a transition out of it too. Like what's going to happen after the chat? You know, we often don't think about those things. We focus so much on what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, but then what about post-chat? 
Like, where's mum going then? Where's dad going? What are you going to do with the kids? Um, Ideally, it would be within a familiar environment to the child or children. Um, We don't want to be going out to a cafe or to Dreamworld or to some environment that's external, that's stimulating. Like this should be within a a place that feels safe, that's comfortable, that's familiar for them. Um, And in terms of that next steps following on, know your child, right? Like, so is your child a, um, a person that would benefit from having a little bit of solo time after that? Or would they need maybe some support from either one of the parents or a loved one to just kind of be with them? Um, the other thing I would recommend in terms of that kind of post uh, follow-up would be actually scheduling in a time for that, not just saying, come to me with any questions, happy to chat. Like that's a very adult thing to do, isn't it? Like put it back on you to, to come to me. Um, but almost we'll chat about this again on Wednesday evening. You know, dad's going to come back around. We'll all sit down together and, you know, just almost open up that conversation for expression of feelings and um, normalising the, the struggle and the grief that they're likely to experience. I love that idea of letting them know it's going to be a series of conversations and that, you know, that there is going to be a time and a place very soon when we're going to talk about it again. I wonder if that, like, I wish that I had done that because I wonder if that would have helped in my situation where I felt like it was just a never ending conversation for one of the boys. Like it was just this thread that he couldn't let go like we had Mm. to continually go over the same ground and I found it really hard to know is this helpful or is this making it worse and so I love that piece of advice about have the conversation but tell your kids you know an age in an age appropriate way we're going to have another conversation about this I'm going to check in with you um I think that's such a helpful concept yeah and I think it also what as you were speaking, what came up for me there that is also really helpful is in that almost bringing in your system and your community too. So letting the the children or teenagers, young people um, know who else you have either told or ideally who you plan to tell so that they don't feel like they're the last ones to have figured out. Um, so perhaps it is that you have in, you plan to inform their teacher or maybe they have a coach or, um, you know, close family friends, um, particularly for teenagers, that part is so crucial because your teens are, they're pretty unlikely to preference the parent as being the person of for their emotional support, far more likely they'll go to soccer coach Johnny than they will to dad to unpack everything that's coming up for them. And, you know, having that mentor, other person that's external to the family, just to keep a bit of an eye on them, check in on them from time to time is really supportive. Yeah, because I guess, and I have limited understanding of teenagers, um, but from what I do understand, as kids go into their preteens and teenage years, it is really normal for them to sort of detach Mm. from the parents and to need that social circle more. So that makes so much sense that it's like, yes, this is happening. I plan on telling so-and-so. Is there someone that you want me to Mm. tell? Is there someone you want to talk about this with? Again, very helpful. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes it also, from a like a process perspective, it really mirrors what's happening within the family. And by that, I mean, you know, within the family, we're kind of seeing this separation and that there's going to be some changes and the external world is kind of going to shift. And so, therefore, we're mirroring it through that support conversation in that, okay, like we're going to bring in some other people from outside of the family. This isn't going Going to just be dealt with within our little unit of four. There's going to be other people involved and that will likely continue, right? If mum and dad partner, not that you would necessarily say this, but, um, you know, that will likely continue for them. So it's almost like the first step in that process unraveling. Yeah. And if you have more than one child, do you suggest telling them all together? Yeah, absolutely. Always include them all together. Um, I mean, um, look, again, it's hard to be black and white, but if you had, I don't know, like a a 22-year-old and a two-year-old, it might look a little bit different. Um, However, if they're, you know, semi-close in age and there is more than one child, having it all together, at least for that initial conversation, is really important. You don't want to start to split the sibling dynamic apart by, oh, well, you know, you told so-and-so first and then I was the last to find out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember when I was going through my separation, I kept hearing the term aces everywhere in terms of adverse childhood experiences and I think there are seven Mm, mm. and they include things like having a parent who has mental health issues addiction in the home yeah all sorts of things like that but also having parents separate that's one of the aces one of the adverse childhood Mm. experiences why is it well you have to think about again this in terms of the shades of gray right? Because it's not, it's not a black and white experience of all separations look exactly the same. Um, the interesting thing about the research though, Kylie, is that it's not the separation itself that is typically harmful to kids. It's that uncertain period that you were speaking to before. You know, your little boy's friend has come home and said, I think my parents are going to separate. It's that which is really harmful to kids. It's the conflict within the home. It's what leads to the separation. You know, I will see a lot of adults in my work where they come from uh, families or blended families, separated families, and I don't think I have ever spoken with an adult who has come from that context that has not said to me that they wish that their parents had separated earlier. Yeah, that and again, it makes so much sense because the separation is one thing, but it's it's the shitstorm around it. Yeah, you know, back and forth, like it not being clear, not not having these kind of conversations like we spoke to today. All of that is incredibly unsettling and can be traumatic for a child. Yeah, and I guess 
also in terms of things that can be traumatizing for kids and upsetting, you know, that obviously has to include the way parents speak about the other parent in front of their Mm. kids. Something I remember uh, reading or learning early on was that it's so important that I always try my best and I'm not perfect. That's that's for sure. (laughs) But I do try my best to always speak really positively and really highly of of their father because and you, please correct me if I'm wrong because it might mm. be something I've picked up along the way and you're like, oh, that's not right. But I remember hearing or reading somewhere that, you know, for a child, they identify as half mum, half dad. And so if mum is dragging dad and talking badly, that mm. brings up a whole lot of inner turmoil or inner conflict surrounding their loyalty and and their feelings about not only the other parent, but their feelings about themselves as well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And look, there, there's a theory around that and then there's also I guess a a developmental psychology lens where um, you know your child will identify more with the same gendered parents at times and so you know if you have two boys well you have two boys um, there will be times where they will identify more potentially with their father and so then if you're then speaking about dad in a really negative way Depending on the developmental stage, a couple of different things can happen. Number one, you're right, they can internalise it as being, well, I'm bad. If dad's bad, I'm bad. Um, Or they can get to the point where, you know, they're identifying more with dad and so then they're rejecting of mum. And they pull away and then we see cutoffs and distance within, within families with children from a really early age. Um, when that's happening, it's usually because of what you're speaking to now, right? Like it's a bit different in the teenage years, but for primary school age kids, if we're seeing them uh, not having a relationship with mum or dad, it can be because of that parent dynamic, because the parent dynamic makes it so hard for the children to stay attached to both. Yeah. And something as simple, again, probably I've read this somewhere, but along the lines of like the simplicity of being mindful of your language, because often when parents split, all of a sudden it becomes your father, not daddy, you know, yeah. like the language is like your father will pick you up at this time or your father said da, da, da. and then it's like making the child responsible for that person and that's a new experience because when you're in a happy relationship, lightheartedly you might occasionally say like, oh, your father did X, Y, Z, but for the most part you'll speak in affectionate terms mm. and so that's something that I've tried to do and it's really challenging when there's conflict going on in other areas but I've always tried with the boys to be like oh you're off to daddy's like yes. to keep using that warm language even though I might not feel that warmth inside of me to be mindful mm. of that's still their special person and so rather than using language that is like oh well now you get ownership of him because I'm not happy with him Mm -hmm. trying to just remember the way that I would talk about him refer to him when things were really good Mm. I think that is such a small and impactful yeah. strategy, tool, thing to practice with your kids um, now that you mention that and it I think just for for anyone listening, navigating this at the moment, it doesn't have to be that you speak about dad now or mum in 
a overly positive way either, right? Like it's not about you talking with your boys about how much you love dad. Like that then would be too far the opposite extreme, which might then get them thinking, oh, they're going to get back together. Like mum, mum loves this guy. Um, whereas it's exactly what you spoke to before about mum's happy that you're going to daddy's. Mum knows you will have fun at daddy's. Like let's not make dad's house this taboo or, as you said, something that they're responsible for, that you're not interested in, that you're kind of splitting their life between these two hugely influential home environments. It would almost be like likened to you never asking or speaking about anything to do with their school. Yes. What would that be like for a child? It would be so odd. It's so true. And that's one of the things. And again, there's lots of things I've gotten wrong. I could do a whole podcast on everything I've gotten wrong. But one thing I've always tried to do is be like, what did you do at daddy's? Mm. Like, you know, I, w- I want to hear about what you did, but not in the way of like, I want to, I want to, report. like, I'm not, I'm not interested in gaining information from them, which I think some parents would fall into the habit of being like, tell me, tell me, like, mm. not at all, but just knowing that they can share their yeah. experiences with me. Did you go to the beach? Did you have fun? And that's not going to hurt me. Like, I don't want them to ever think they can't tell me something because they're trying to manage my emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting you say that because I've had so many conversations with primarily women navigating these situations. They always say to me, I, I definitely ask Monique. And I say, okay, well, how do you ask? And then they're like, oh, <laughs> because, you know, I ask the question, but it's more of an interrogation. And then when they tell me, it's like, and what, what about when they share with you what they did? What happens then? Oh, well, they've told me then and, and that's enough. And often they're, you know, so worked up by perhaps what's happened there. So then that's actually not out of a place of curiosity, isn't it? So I think sometimes we need to think about it in a different way. It's actually not about dad and what was happening at dad's. It's about you being involved and being part of all parts of your child's life and world. Yeah. And I think another thing that I've had conversations with other friends who have, who are separated with children, something that we're mindful of is not to fall prey to kids realizing if they say something, it gets connection from us. I guess what I mean by that is, you know, say a kid gets into the car after being with the other parent and they'll say, do you know mom or dad did so-and-so? And then the parent turns around and they get their full attention and they're locked in and it's heightened and it's like this opens up this 10-minute conversation. A kid will then, back to what we said at the start of our conversation, often go, huh, that was a great way to connect. Mm. That got mum or dad's full attention. So I'm going to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you only learn these lessons because you live them. <laughs> but I, I know for sure with one of my boys and I realized, oh, I must be giving him my full undivided attention when he's telling me that thing. So mm. then he amps it up and tells me more and tells me more as a way to connect. And I'm like, oh, hang on. I don't want to be holding that space where he thinks that's what he has to do to get my attention. So again, like my other son, because it's all, if it's not one, it's the bloody other, but like my other son, you know, going, huh, he wants more attention and more connection from me. Mm. I'm going to give that to him by focusing on the fantasy books that he's reading and the te- like the series that he's interested in and the games and all of that, because I don't want that to be the glue. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And aren't kids remarkable? Clever. 
<laughs> I mean, we're not going to say manipulative, but we're going to say clever. <laughs> Very clever. What a beautiful yes. way to put it. <laughs> um, in terms of like red flags for if our kids aren't coping, what mm-hmm. are we on the lookout for? I think any like remarkable changes in behavior um, or emotional expression. You know, if you you typically had a child that could express their feelings quite well to you, was coming to you, talking with you, um, and you were starting to see a a shift in that and perhaps them withdrawing a little bit more, that would be something to be curious about, Um, as is, you know, the, the behavioral changes. I think an important thing to remember there, though, is that, um, you know, it's not that any change in behaviour is a sign that your child is struggling. Some of those, uh, some of those shifts can actually just be normal expressions of grief for young people. Uh, we don't tend to have as many words or as sophisticated ability to express our emotions when we are pre-18 for females, pre-25 for, for males, because that's the age that the brain kind of finalises its core development. Um, so keeping in mind that too, like this could just be a bit of an expression of, of initial grief. So we'd be looking for a pattern here. It wouldn't be, oh, they have a bad day at school. They're not coping. Um, this is a big adjustment in a child's world. And sometimes it is just important to remember that you might be, and just keep in mind, I guess, you might be, well, you will be much further down that adjustment process than what your kids will be. You likely had some doubts about the relationship, about the the marriage, maybe years, if not months, you know, earlier. Um, Whereas your child, yeah, they might have been clued in a bit to things not being that great with mum and dad. If they're a younger child, potentially not. And so the moment that you tell them could be the start of almost their grief process where they start to get go into shock and then that can continue in waves for a good year, couple of years following. Like the first year is typically the hardest, that year of first. We're navigating first blended family Christmas, first blended family birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, all the things. Um, so I really think that for that, you know, point there, that question that you raise around um, red flags, it's more about you trusting your own intuition and looking for the patterns, not jumping too quickly, perhaps gathering some information from those key support people around, what are they noticing, doing a bit more of like a holistic assessment. Uh, Because of course, during this time, your emotions are going to be amplified as well. And sometimes we become quite reactive when we're in that state. And it is appropriate for our kids to feel sad, to feel low, to have those moments where perhaps they don't act in line with their normal character, like that's appropriate. hundred percent. Yes. Because children don't sit down. Well, typically children don't sit down and unpack emotions, big feelings, um, transitions, adjustment periods in the same way that adults do. I mean, heck, like most adults don't do it in that kind of way either, right? It takes a lot of awareness and insight to be able to express your feelings and process them and navigate them. Uh, so behavior is typically a way that 
children work through big things and that's where they need you even more though to story that for them. Sometimes uh, parents can feel wary of speaking to those more difficult emotions, you know, normalizing them, um, saying things like it's very normal for you to feel really sad, to have lots of questions, to get angry about this because they worry in them speaking to them out loud that it's almost like imprinting them onto the child. Um, I just really want to rest. I just really want to dismantle that myth that that's not the case. Like children need you to name it, to tame it. They need that um, storying of their internal worlds for regulation before they're actually able to do that for themselves. Yes. So saying to your child, it's okay if you feel angry. I understand you're mm-hmm. confused. I understand you're sad. Um I was about to say, you know, like, I'm sad too. Is it appropriate to also talk about your own sadness with your kids or is that not appropriate? Absolutely, it's appropriate, right? Like, that's us modelling, like, healthy emotion, right? Mm. Like, otherwise, you would never question, is it okay for me to tell my child if I'm happy? Yeah. Right? Is it okay for me to display joy? Is it okay if I laugh? <laughs> like it's I think this is like a societal conditioning that we have around the more difficult emotions. Like even we talk about them right as like positive and negative. There's no such thing as positive and negative emotions. They're all just feelings. They're all just emotion. It's that we've labeled them in that way because there are certain emotions that are far more comfortable than other ones. So the more you can normalize though, normalize that with them um, throughout this process, the better. Yes. And I mean, my kids have certainly seen me cry. They've seen me Mm. be upset. I've said to them, you know, this is hard because of these reasons in different ways, you know, breaking it down or, you know what, I felt lonely at times too. Like I've definitely had those conversations with the kids, but then sometimes I'll feel guilty yeah. That they're exposed to that. And I guess that's the societal conditioning. But the flip side of that is I have such empathetic kids. And yes, like they've gone through a, I, I think they've gone through a lot. Of course, they have a pretty good compared to a lot of people, but they've still gone through a lot. And I have felt so much guilt about that. But something that has helped me with that guilt, Monique, has been like understanding that. I can't protect them from everything in life that is bad and hard Mm. and it's going to be part of their story. You know, I found it very comforting listening to podcast interviews with high-profile people who would reflect on their own childhoods and they would say things like, I had a single mom and she did X, Y, Z. And because of that, I then learned dit, 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 dit. Of course. That really helped pull me out of this you know, overwhelming sense of failing my kids because Mm. there's so much of that, like it's societal conditioning, it's our upbringing. Like I, you know, even talking about it now, I get emotional because that was without doubt the hardest part of my separation was the guilt of like, fuck, what is it doing to these kids, you Mm. know? And so I just wanted to speak to that because for anyone listening, if you feel that guilt, that's okay. Like I felt that too, but also just understanding 
their like everything your kid goes through, everything your child experiences does go towards the person that they're going to be, mm. you know? And just because they go through something hard, it doesn't mean that they're ruined. It just means that they're going to develop a, a belief system based off some of those experiences. And no one gets out of childhood without some sort of belief that they need to then go and see someone like you and unpack later in life. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think just even, you know, hearing your story that just further reinforces how important it is for the parent to have their own separate support, isn't it? Like for you to be able to have someone there who's supporting you, coaching you, you know, mentoring you through this um, to separate that guilt away from the children, you know, as much as as possible and to support you to navigate that. Um, Because I think when we're talking about showing our our children these raw emotions, there is a bit of a fine line that you're dancing, isn't there, in terms of um, you don't want your children to feel responsible for helping you manage your feelings or that they, um, you know, that they're your caretaker in a way. Um, And I think that's where show them the emotion and make sure that you reassure them that you are getting that support or that you have resilience within you to get through hard times. It's just that, that statement at the end, that containment statement is so important in these situations. And that's when that isn't present, that's often then when we see children grow up into adults who kind of mirror the child of a parent with a mental illness, the cop me kind of profile, um, where they're very parentified, where they kind of become the caretaker, very self-sacrificial in their life, lots of people-pleasing tendencies, which, of course, we can all, you know, go and work with someone and override. Um, but I guess it's just helpful to keep that in mind too. Like, where's my boundary here? Yes. And where is the responsibility? And something that um, my therapist said to me was, you're taking so much responsibility, Kylie, for the kid's experience of this. Mm -hmm. And you taking all of the responsibility is making you less response able. Yeah. Don't put yourself in the situation to be like, I'm ruining their life. I'm so responsible for this. Because when you do that, you're not able to respond well. And that was so significantly helpful for me, probably because I'm like a word aficionado. Like I was like, oh, that's such a great wordplay. That's going to stick in my brain. But I was like, yeah, like if I can put down this um, psychological responsibility that I have assigned Mm. to make their life easy and good all the time, I'm better to respond to them. And being better to respond able to respond in a better way did mean that I was able to say to them, yes, I feel lonely. Yes, I'm struggling. Yes, this is hard, but I know it's going to be okay. Mm. And I would say that to the boys, especially, you know, one who just struggled so hard. Like I I just can't even believe the way that he struggled Mm. for so long. And I would say to him, it's okay that you're sad, but I promise one day you won't feel as sad. It will get better. Like, you know, just reassuring him that it's not going to be this way every single day. We're moving through it. It's going to be okay. And I would use the same language with myself. And I would say to them, I've got support. I'm going, you know, like just letting them know I'm not going to turn to you guys to make you responsible Mm -hmm. for 
my experience either. I love that statement. Like I really want that to be a takeaway for, for anyone listening. And yeah, I think that it's such an important point because, you know, what what you're really touching on there is you've only got so much well I mean you've got this comfort zone don't you and of course this experience for for us for our kids it's going to be out of our comfort zone because it's wildly unfamiliar so you wouldn't expect that's actually a bit of a red flag you wouldn't expect your child to be perfectly okay throughout all of it, right? It's not all about externalizing behaviors and um, them breaking down and showing lots of sadness. So we kind of want a bit of that. I'd be more concerned if the child was internalizing, withdrawing more. I'm always more concerned for the internalizers than I am the external behaviors because the external behaviors, you've got something visible to work with. The internalizers, you're like, oh, what's really going on here, right? Um, And I think to use your reframe, like when we, you know, you don't want to take too much responsibility for that because then you're restricting your child's ability to grow from and through this. Because if their comfort zone was, you know, a little bit smaller before, then yeah, this is going to be a stretchy moment for them. But we know that kids are very adaptive. You know, there's a bit of a myth that they're incredibly resilient and they can kind of be left to their own devices kind of proven that that's not so true through recent evidence. However, we know that they are with the right support, with the right coaching from a parent, we know that they're adaptive and that that comfort zone for them will increase. But if you're kind of jumping in at every moment that you see of weak, perceived weakness within them, then that's not actually allowing for the growth, is it? That's not allowing them to navigate this for themselves in their own way. Absolutely. I'm sitting here nodding along like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I wish that I'd had this conversation with you back in 2019, but I'm so glad that we've had it today. And I'm so grateful for your contribution towards our surviving separation guide. I was reading through your words of wisdom and just so grateful that people will have access to it. And I think this conversation here today is going to be really impactful for a lot of our women, a lot of our female listeners. So thank you so much, Monique. I'm so glad. Thanks, Kylie. Where can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, probably over on Instagram is the the easiest spot. I hang out a lot over there at Monique Harding underscore. Amazing. I will have all of your details in our show notes. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Kylie. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Whisper in the dark. Whispers in the dark.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.